0: So we get a little bit of a freebie of source today in terms of a passage to look at. Uh, We just finished last week um, a series on questions that Jesus asked, and then we are, Charles is going to kick off a new series, which I'm excited about next week, on the Exodus. So this is a little bit of an in-between section, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Genesis chapter 50. Uh, which this is basically, I call this the Exodus, the prequel, because it's going to give us a time we can meditate on how the events of the Exodus got started in the first place, how the people of God ended up in Egypt and that kind of thing. Um, It's a really wonderful story. It's also a really difficult story when we read it and try to apply it to um, our lives. And I would say that I have no small level of trepidation into jumping into this task. Because uh, we will hear in this passage the famous line that what man intended for evil, that God intended for good. And so we are going to struggle with one of those uh, issues that is just near, hits very close to home um, as believers, which is the problem of suffering. So I would like to say, you know, in the outset, that um, if you have a story to tell, I would really like to hear it. Uh, if anything that I say is Insensitive or off or unreflective of what uh, this experience is really like, I would like to know that. But I would also like us together as a family to really lean in, and even though it's not the happiest of subjects to talk about, um, that it is something that we are given um, in good faith by God uh, to reflect on, and it is for our good. Uh, Just a little bit of background of the story if you've not heard the story of Joseph, Uh, We are meeting Joseph more towards the end of the drama that he was wrapped up in. He was the second youngest of a whole bunch of brothers, a son of Jacob, um, and due to jealousies and internal conflict in the family, he was sold into slavery. Um, He ended up um, becoming a servant in a rich man's house, and because of his character, um, he ended up raising up, um, being responsible for most of his household, and then again, um, was thrown into prison due to evil that was done against him, um, lies that were told about him. Um, he's a man who suffered greatly and great deal. But through the providence of God, Joseph was raised up, and at the right time, he was put in the way of uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, um, to wit, through which Joseph and his skills of administration. Um, and the sovereign help of God was used to spare the lives of tens of thousands of people from a famine. Um, we are entering into this scene uh, when Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery, um, are—they have been brought to the point where they um, have to—they have to confront their brother about what they did, and they are afraid about the consequences that they might uh, receive. Um, on themselves. So with all that being said, let's jump into this story. Uh, This is Genesis 50 verses 15 through 21. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, "'Your father gave this command before he died. "'Say to Joseph, "'Please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin "'because they did evil to you. "'And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father.' And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, "'Behold, we are your servants.' But Joseph said to them, "'Do not fear.' Your heavenly Father, we are all utterly dependent on your spirit to speak to us this morning. So I pray that you would help me uh, speak clearly and truthfully. But more than that, I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts, um, that you would interact with us in those difficult places um, and that you would free us to live in the joy, uh, the life uh, that you have given us in Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. You know, like I said before, this is one of those really difficult doctrines, this idea that there's both evil and good in the world, um, and that in a mysterious way that God is absolutely sovereign over uh, all evil, all calamity, all bad things um, that can happen. And at once, you know, this is uh, one of the most precious doctrines that we have um, in all of Scripture, that we all cling to, um, to go about our daily life. Like, I can kind of think of it like, you know, when you are in the middle, if, you know, I really like camping, you know, especially when it's cold, but not this cold, but you're, you're out there and it's cold all around you. The world feels very, very hostile, and yet you're huddled around a campfire and it's very, very warm. And that thing gives a cheer and it gives a life and it gives a sense of security um, to keep going um, and to make it through the night. And that's, in a lot of ways, this doctrine functions that way when we feel like um, the world outside us is very, very hostile and it, it feels you know e- like uh, we 're just surrounded by calamity and evil. This is something that gives us um, a joy and a security to be able to face another day and to keep going. but it also can function the opposite like i 've always thought that if you ever been standing near a campfire that has gone out, it is almost like that is a twice as cold space um, as the rest of the cold around it. And whenever we experience evil, and whenever we, we experience suffering, that is what it can feel like, I think, inside of our hearts. That when the world feels like it is, there is nobody pulling the strings, that there is more evil than good, and it just happens at complete random, with no seeming meaning behind it, That in our souls, it can feel like a fire that has gone out. And you experience that chill of asking those questions. That is everything really random? Um, Is there, you know, good that can come out of any of these things? Am I all alone, you know, in the hostilities of the world? Um, This is one of those things what we are wrestling with is it is... An impossible thing to reconcile in our heads. Like, I don't presume to stand here and solve for any of us the problem of evil. This is something that philosophers have been, and humans have been struggling with uh, forever. But it is not just a mental thing. It is something that happens deep down inside of each one of us when we experience suffering. And it is on that level that we're also talking about how God interacts with us there. And it's not just us. Uh, You might have heard of um, what happened in in Lisbon in 1755. Um, It was on All Saints Day at 9.40 in the morning where everybody was in church and there was an earthquake that hit at a 7.7 magnitude and all of these giant beautiful buildings where everyone was gathered collapsed and tens of thousands of people died. And it was a really stark point um, for those who experienced or knew about it of asking the question, why in the world would anything like this happen? Like it just seemed like one of those things that you cannot explain in any way other than this is just a bad thing and this is evil. Uh, Voltaire, who you've heard of him, he wrote a famous poem about this and struggled with this issue. He said things like, And can you then impute a sinful deed to babes who on their mother's bosoms bleed? Was then more vice in fallen Lisbon found than Paris where voluptuous joys abound? Was less debauchery in London known where opulence luxurious holds the throne? These asking why, why did it have to be here? Was there something bad about here that God had to pass his judgment? It just seems so random and it didn't make sense, especially when you think about other places where... Um, that this might um, have happened. And he goes on to struggle with this and said, But how conceive a God, the source of love, who on man lavished blessings from above, then with the race, with various plagues confound, can mortals penetrate his views profound? Ill could not from a perfect being spring, nor from another, as God is sovereign king. And yet, sad truth, in this our world tis found. What contradictions hear my soul confound. I think that pretty aptly puts into word those sense of inner contradictions that those can feel like. And so it's in this space we have this story, which is a really wonderful story because, and I think my wife put it really well, that we're kind of jealous of Joseph, that he got some kind of a resolution to the suffering in his life. Like, Why can't we somehow know what this is all about? And if God is actually sovereign over evil, why can't we always, why can't we see it? Um, So we're asking, we're looking at this passage to ask this question. And this is going to have to do with the exodus when it comes up, about a God who simultaneously led his people into Egypt um, and allowed them to be enslaved. And then after that, um, through um, miraculous circumstances, delivered them. Um, in a pretty spectacular way. So we're diving into this story, and there are a few things that that I think are really crucial and precious that we need to understand and why stories like this uh, have been given to us, especially when we are struggling with the reality of seemingly the randomness of evil around us. Uh, The first thing is it gives us in, it addresses our mind, And it actually gives us a shape of what God's relationship with evil actually is. Um, And that God is not the author of this evil. It doesn't come from Him. Um, But He is the one who is the rescuer and the redeemer from that evil. But not only that, that He actually usurps the power of the evil and uses whatever it was to end up accomplishing His purposes. That in a very fundamental way, whether it makes sense to us or not, That God's relationship with evil is that he is not evil in himself, but he uses even the powers of evil to accomplish his own ends for good. Uh, We see this here when it says what Joseph quite frankly names, that his brothers are the ones who meant this for evil. That it came from them, this didn't come from God. But at the same time, we see all these circumstances unfolding that through them, that God was doing something big and powerful. Um, that he was, even his brothers were unknowingly serving the deliverance that God was, was working out um, in the world of saving uh, thousands of people from famine. Uh, the scripture says this uh, and many times, that God is not a God who delights in wickedness and evil may not dwell with him in Psalm 5.4. And 1 John 5 says that this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And this might be a simple a fairly simple point. But I do think it's important that we we need to wrap our heads around this and understand. Cuz especially when we are in the middle of it, then you know, if you're in my house then you hear phrases all the time like come on, God, like why did you hurl this thing into my life right now? Are you just trying to like um, dig something up in me or what's the purpose of all of these things? And I'm not saying in, in this profound mystery, God is in, in completely in control of all evil events and difficult events happening. But it is a fundamentally different thing to view God as the source of the one who is pulling the strings, who is deciding good, evil there, and eventually it's going to work out to be some portrait that you don't understand right now, that that's not the character of God who He's been revealed in Scripture. God is the rescuing God. That is what He does. There is no evil in the person of God. He does not delight in anybody experiencing suffering or evil. And he does use it, and in a mysterious way that we don't understand, that he will uh, allow it to happen um, in many circumstances. But I like, as Tim Keller said one time, that what God does with evil is it's like he gives the devil only enough rope to hang himself. That he is using these things, um, even though they don't come from him, to turn them around, to actually undo the power that evil is actually trying to accomplish, It'd be kind of like, you know, if you think of it as a common plot in a movie where you spend the whole movie watching a villain unfold this master plan, and then they end up falling into their own trap at the end of the show. That this is God's posture towards evil. He usurps His power. He turns it around. He defends His people. um, And that for us, that our confidence is, is that though we experience suffering and evil all the time, that in Jesus, it cannot... Accomplish the evil ends that it intends. All it can do is eventually to, would be to undermine itself into the final destruction of evil that God has planned. This is a very important and fundamental thing for us to understand about who God is. But this is one of the challenges, okay? So when we, and it, which is kind of It's apparent in uh, what Lauren said um, about this story is that we might be able to accept that if we could see what good all of these things are being, what God is doing through all of these things. One of the difficult parts of our suffering is that you would say most of us, we don't get to see it. You know, we might look at our lives and guess like maybe this was for this and maybe this was for this. But you think of another situation and it's pretty clear. This just seems random and I can't figure out how this could end up in good in any way. So this is especially for our hearts. An important thing for us to wrestle with is how do we see the sovereign usurping work of God manifested in our lives? And in order to understand that, we need to think about this story in a, in, a, in a, maybe a little bit, at a little bit of a tilt. Uh, we need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites, how they would have been looking at this story of Joseph. And it is absolutely true that each of us individually, this is something that applies to us as a part of the people of God. That for all of the individual things in our lives that God... He takes the power of evil and he turns it around so that it undermines itself, okay? But one of the ways that that is made visible is not always visible in our own lives individually, but it's made visible in this corporate relationship of between people and God. And the point is this, this is the second point, that God expresses his love and sovereignty covenantally um, and not always individually, and what does that mean? A covenant is a binding relationship between God and His people. And it's a relationship that can never be undone. Um, it is cut in blood. It is a forever full relationship um, um, that has been um, entered into. And it is mediated by a representative or a mediator. So there would be an individual through which God, through which God would work, how He would relate to the people that he would relate to this mediator in a particular way they would give him blessings and those blessings would be applied to the people uh, whatever they saw in this one individual and the other hand that they would also that they their struggles and needs would be brought before God through this individual so when we look at this story one of the important things to recognize is that we are not always the Joseph character in this story is that think about all the other people who are around Joseph? If you were an Israelite, you would know that God manifested good to me and my people because he called Joseph to suffer and that he brought good through Joseph, and that good ended up trickling down to everybody else who was united in that covenant relationship with Joseph. Okay? And it was through that representative. That the, what God was doing was made visible for this people. And when they look at their lives, the blessing, their belonging, and the blessing and promises that were given to them, it would come through this individual. Again, we're not saying that God does not have an individual relationship, but this is one of the ways he works through an individual. And of course, you know where I'm going with this. This is exactly what God does for us in Jesus And that Jesus is the covenant representative. Jesus is the one where we can visibly see what God has been up to from the beginning in regards to evil. That God is not leaving evil to win, but that He is, uh, throughout all of history, has been about this one master plan to undo it by absorbing it into Himself. That through Jesus, He would extend the blessings that belong to the firstborn, perfect, righteous Son of God, and that He would give it to sufferers. He is the one who suffered, not independently, but with them, that He actually experienced all of the things that we struggle with, and He brings those things up before the throne of God, having no sin, being non-reactive, being perfect, perfectly righteous, perfectly loving, the perfect servant of Christ. Jesus is one of the ways that we see what God has done. And this is what it says in Romans 8, where it, in that famous phrase where it says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. It says in there that if God did not spare His only Son, how much more then can He not give us all good things? Jesus is the one who calls our eyes He's the thing that we are called to look at in the middle of when we are suffering. We might not see what it means in our lives, but we do see what the grand story is all about. It is the blessings of Jesus that we have all the time. But there's another significant part about that, about having a representative, is that look at what Jesus did. He took on this suffering himself to a way bigger degree than he asked other people to do it. He did that first. So he's not some God who's sitting back in heaven who's just pulling the string saying, you go here, you do this, you go here, you do this, you go here, do this, and then at the end of the day um, we're going to have you know a good product to show. He actually goes first and does the thing before anyone else, what he is asking us to do in following him. He is inherently invested in suffering. He knows what it is like. He is not uninformed. And it, it can be kind of a silly example, but you have ever had a boss who did that, who just said, you go do this, you go do this, you know, you, you solved that issue over there, and you knew that they weren't going to touch that problem with a 10-foot finger. They were just using you to do it. And you have probably had other bosses that were the opposite, who anything you were asked to do, then they were going to jump in and they were do it, and you were going to get to follow them in that. And the, who is the one that you trusted more? It was the one who was in it, the one who knows what it was like, the one who wouldn't ask for you to do anything that they weren't willing to do themselves. This is one of the things that Jesus means to us um, as He is standing there on the cross. He goes first. It means that when we grieve and our tears come, it means that those are things that Jesus also feels and felt. He does them right alongside with us. And one of those things which really grates against, you know, our common view of suffering is that uh, the, the Christian life is often characterized by Christ's sufferings, that we suffer with him, and that as he suffered, he leads us into suffering also. But there is an intimate communion among people who are that invested and who know what it is like. And we have a Savior who does not call for the shots from afar, but he actually leads us. He goes ahead of us into any suffering that we might experience. But there's another side to that, which is also um, an important thing to think about. And a covenant relationship it is a, it's a binding relationship between God and people that is mediated by a representative, and that representative is the one that we are called to look at, that we see how God functions and what is up to. But there's also this corporate family that is a part of a covenant relationship as well. And you ever think about this when we suffer? We are not the only ones to ever do that. And that might not you know, make the suffering in our own lives go away, but there is something to be said when we look around and saying that we are walking this same road with thousands uh, of people who have gone before us and who have done the very same thing. And let me give you a straight illustration of what this looks like. This is kind of an illustration within an illustration. I read an article who cited, another article who cited this TV show that this happened. But apparently there's a TV show about uh, a British male and an American female who were dating. And they were in England and they were sitting in a big cathedral and the guy said, was just saying to her, you know what, whenever I feel overwhelmed and exhausted and, you know, like that in life, I like to come in here and I like to sit. And I like to look at how old these stones are. And I like to think about all the people that have sat in these pews and all the things they've been through. And what this represents is the people of God around the world um, in many places who have suffered many things, all of those. And it gives me comfort. And she kind of paused and thought about that and said, hmm, when I'm overwhelmed, I tend to go shopping. And I just ask you, almost as a practical point, which one is more fragile than the other one? You know, if we're just rising and falling by what we feel in the moment, then it is going to be a true roller coaster um, through life. But in the people of God, with Jesus our representative, though we will suffer many things... There is a constancy to Jesus' presence with us and his work in us. There is a fellowship with many other people who have been there before, and it is not just about us. And when we find our identity um, in this corporate family, then it is much more of an enduring um, effect on us than if we were just individuals rising and falling by what we feel like in the moment. Um, but there's another thing in here I think that is important to mention before we, um, we leave this passage. We see God's power of how he usurps evil, um, that that's his fundamental character and disposition towards evil, even if we understand it or not. We see how his love has been expressed um, covenantally through our mediator, um, Joseph Jesus, how we've been put in a family who are all in this together. Uh, but look at, how, look at the impact that God's sovereignty had on Joseph. And what does he do? He has suffered great evil even at these people's hands. And his response is very curious and very challenging. He says, am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What's he doing? First, what is he not doing? He's not glossing over it, and he's not saying that what they did was not evil. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, what you did was evil, like point blank. But God's sovereign work in his life, it had an effect on how he approached the world in light of it. And that it was not just about him anymore, but he actually took the blessings that he was given from God and extended it to other people, even his enemies. And I think this is a sign, when we put this in the context of the whole story of God, is that one of the things that Jesus does for us is he actually, in our suffering, he repurposes us and commissions us for blessing. And I would say this is the most difficult thing. I think that forgiveness is one of the most difficult parts of the Christian life. Because evil is evil and evil hurts. And we are never called to pretend that that is not so. But at the same time, as we are walking with Jesus in his suffering, that he is suffering with us, that what did Jesus do? He is the one who gave up his life for the sake of his enemies. He is the one who extended forgiveness even to those who didn't deserve it. And that includes us. Jesus is characterized by forgiveness. Joseph was characterized by forgiveness. And I would just like to give the point, and I want to ask this as as a question, um, in that how has your suffering changed you? I think this this is worth each of us digging into and reflecting on. Like evil and pain, it will change us in bad ways. It is it has to. It's because it's evil. But I just as a simple take in my in my own life, yesterday I had a really busy day and I felt like I was suffering. And I would like I can't tell you how many times I snapped at my kids because they were just always in my way, always interrupting me and not doing what what I needed them to do. And I had to look inside and say, I think what my own suffering is doing is it is turning me inward. And it is saying, this is only about me. And what my relationship with Jesus is like is that what I want him to do is to make my life easier and I want him to fix it. And I think that is just a small characterization of what it can look like elsewhere. Like it can have the power to change us in really difficult ways. Um, not all depression comes from, comes from suffering. Some of it we can come by honestly in a variety of reasons, but it can. It can make us just so angry at life that we will not entertain anything else other than our own suffering. But this is a, is a question I want us to dig in and I want us to reflect on ourselves. How has your suffering changed you? And here's the good news. That we are a part of the people of God who, just as characteristically as we suffer, we are a people who are characterized by blessing. Joseph was a part of the story that through him, that God was using him to extend blessing to other people. And we have a purpose that is beyond just us. That God is using us for the sake of something more than just our getting through life unscathed. And I know that you know this because I know that you know people who have suffered greatly and who are the kindest, most approachable people who really look like Jesus. And I don't think they would look that way without it. And I'm sure they would say, I wish that never happened to me, and I think that would be a good thing to say. And at the same time, suffering has the power to change us in, positive, in very, very positive ways. Joseph is an example of that. This is a part of the, the, the character that we have inherited as being a part of the people of God. And I'll just use this illustration, which is kind of a silly illustration to close, is that I got this from um, a book you know, by Tim Keller I was reading. He, he mentioned there was a doctor in a nursing home who, um, you know, most of his patients were, they, they couldn't function very well. They kept to themselves. And then after long and blessed last, he convinced them to bring animals into the room like dogs and cats and chickens and stuff like that. And, like, it was kind of weird at first, but over time that people started to respond whenever they had something to do and somebody else to take care of. That it actually gave them some reason for living other than just sitting in whatever the pain that they were feeling. And that there was, you know, they weren't healed, there was no magic in that, but there was a kind of joy that came and a transformation in that community. By having something to live for beyond ourselves, and this is one of the things that we we are given and that we have to wrestle with. That we, through Jesus, even in our suffering, we have a security, we have a love, and we have a purpose that is way bigger and extends beyond these things. But as we struggle with that, we do that um, with our big brother Jesus, who went ahead of us, who is our righteousness, who is non-reactive who suffers perfectly and that is who he is for us. So he invites us into him without fear of God. But he also invites us in that we might learn from him and that his work in our lives, it might be manifest in freedom from the power of evil, from the ways that evil was meant to bring destruction and that through us individually and as a people that God's light would shine through and his name would be known. And I want to stop there and just offer up that thought to him in prayer, that God would comfort us and that he would use us, and in his grace, he would guide us in that light. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, with the impossibility of that uh, put uh, before us, all we can do is turn to you and ask for help. Would you comfort us in our wounds Would you be near and dear to us in our tears? Would you help us to, uh, with full abandon, throw ourselves upon you in need of your mercy? But would you change us? Would you work on us on the inside that you might bring out of us not death and not destruction, but love and joy? And may we be there for each other to help through that. In Jesus' name, amen.